to episode five of Bring It to the Table, a Battle Royale podcast, because apparently if you make anything Battle Royale, it is instantly more popular. Um, we are joined tonight by two of our fellow tablers. Can you can you verb the word table? We are now. Um, Scott and Gilbert. Scott, Gil, how are we doing this evening? Yeah, doing pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, England are winning the World Cup match at the moment. So hopefully that changes before the end of the night, but we won't know till after we've recorded the show. Um, so Lewis can pot in a little bit of a post-production here as he's editing it. But yeah. I, uh, thanks for already creating more work for me, and we've not even been recording one minute yet. That is excellent. Um, also, spoiler alert, uh, in case you, you didn't know the England score and are listening to this three days later, um, it was 1-0 at time of recording, and it's half time, and they're playing Croatia. The finals on Saturday? Sunday? Sunday. 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 So if you're listening to this on Sunday... You probably already knew who's in the final. But if you're listening to this prior to Sunday, England are winning at the minute. Might not be soon. Scott, how are you? Uh, I'm all good. And what we can do as a special treat to our listeners is we could, uh, I, because I receive push notifications from the wonderful BBC News Sport app, I give us live updates throughout the show so we never miss it. Aren't you excited there about we that, go. I am so excited. Um, I feel, as we spoke about last week, we need some kind of bell to announce the the football score. Um, I'm sitting next to a digital piano, so I can like maybe play like an F for football whenever there's a uh, a football score. Should we try that? So you put your hand up to indicate there's a football score, and then I play, and then you tell me that there's a score. There we go. So, um, Gil, you were not present last week because uh, I locked you in a Faraday cage. Um, but I believe you have some follow up for us. You have some opinions to share that we will definitely listen to and take on board. Yeah, so listen to the show from last week. Um, felt weird not being on it. But um, yeah, so the first thing, gangster movies. I don't know how you guys missed The Dark Knight. Like, Batman is a secondary character in that movie. It is all about gangs and gangsters and Joker, you know, changing how the gang dynamic in Gotham works. It's a modern day classic, and I'm just very disappointed in all three of you. You know, I you, you raise a very good point because you actually put this into the group chat um, after you'd listened to the episode and you were like, I can't believe you guys missed The Dark Knight. And whenever you said it, I kind of thought, I can't believe I missed The Dark Knight. Because, um, yeah, I didn't consider that a gangster movie. I kind of, uh, I guess, assumptively and prejudicially grouped it in with superhero movies in the same way that I would say all Marvel films are superhero movies, even though they have uh, different themes in them. So, no, I agree with you. Um, I still prefer baby driver overall as a film but i think that yeah definitely dark knight is more of a gangster film than baby driver so i'm i would be happy to agree with your choice of uh of batman dark knight for for best gangster film scott i don't know if you agreed with him yeah no that dark knight is a, a great film um I, I i still stick with my original choice um which you can uh, go back and listen to uh, if you want to find out what that was uh, but yeah, The Dark Knight is a great film overall um, and some great performances in there. I guess the key thing that I think about Dark Knight though is that was the point where superhero films start to really become superhero films, what I think they are today. I think that's why I maybe don't class that film as a, a gangster movie because it was more, for me, a turning point where superhero films got really good. That was when everyone sat up and take notes and it wasn't like this little kid thing anymore. It was like, this can be a proper good story and a film at the same point and it's not just for kids. Yeah, like I remember that Batman film, 
um, Batman Begins was the first one of the Nolan trilogy, and that kind of slipped under the radar for me. And I think it slipped under the radar for a lot of people because they did just go, oh, it's a Batman film, in the same way we've had Spider-Man and Superman films before. And then as a little bit of notoriety built up around it, Dark Knight had a, a higher, I guess, initial audience. Um, and that allowed it to kind of be that breakthrough film that kind of changed the genre of what we what we come to expect from superhero movies. And arguably, even though DC are losing the film more, for sure, I don't think there's any arguing about that. They kind of started it because um, there would be no Iron Man, no Captain America, um, arguably no Black Panther without Batman Begins in the Nolan trilogy. Gil, I'm not sure if you agree with that or not. I think there's definitely some truth to that. Um, I think... Spider-Man from 2002 with Tobey Maguire uh, kind of kick-started a lot of this stuff but um, yeah I think like that, I think that's a crap movie I think the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy or a series of crap movies um, don't at me on that because I don't care um, but yeah I think I agree there's definitely something that started with Dark Knight that kind of carried on Um throughout those yeah I'm trailing off some trying to think of when that was in relation to Iron Man I think they were the same summer actually 2008 so was Iron Man what? 2008 or was Iron Man 2010 Iron Man 2 was 2010 Ah, okay, yeah, so they were both yeah. 2008, you're right. Well, I mean, to be fair, then, that does rescind a little bit of what I was saying, because although the films came out the same year, they both would have been in production at the same yeah. time. Um, so I suppose it wouldn't be a fair assessment to say that Iron Man riffs on Dark Knight, maybe riffs on Batman Begins a little, but definitely not Dark Knight. Yeah, but... I think, like, Marvel Studios had a very distinct idea of where they wanted to go. It was very different to what Nolan was doing with the DC kind of stuff which was just Batman at the time because you know no one cared about Superman and people were like Wonder Who or Wonder Woman so you know now thankfully thanks to you know I suppose The Dark Knight Rises treated Catwoman in a very different way to how she'd been treated before which kind of led the way for then I think characters like Black Widow and you know ultimately Wonder Woman to get more a little more taken seriously Maybe I'm talking out of my ass. I'm not really sure right now. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the idea there. Conscious of time, because we do have you know, a show we want to talk about. I don't want to take it all up, but feedback. The second piece of follow-up <laughs> is regarding your analogy that you're the only one. It's not your analogy. Your statement that as the only one of the three, four of us to own an electric car, uh, our well, Tesla opinions are invalidated. I don't think it was mentioned on the show. You drove a Renault Zoe, okay? Yeah. Versus a Tesla. Th that's like saying, you know, you beat up a heavyweight boxer. So you beat up a boxer and going from a lightweight to a heavyweight. There's a very difference in what you're talking about in the class of car. And I think Michael or Scott kind of touched on it with the range of a Tesla. Like, they're worlds apart. Like, the Renault Zoe is pretty much just a Clio with an electric engine inside of us. It's exactly what it is. Um, interesting on range, the Tesla Model 3 has an almost identical range to the Renault Zoe. Um, I know that Tesla, uh, like Renault, advertised with the Endec ranges, 
Um, so NDIC is basically a laboratory test, um, and that laboratory test is allowed to remove a lot of variables like weight and drag and things like this. Um, so Tesla's advertised 210 miles um, is probably only going to equate to about 130 miles of real-world usage because uh, the Renault Zoe um, was advertised as being a 200-mile range, and I never got over 105 miles out of it. And once you added an environmental factor. So the range on the Model 3 is very similar. I will concede that to compare Renault Zoe to a Model S or a Model X um, or the Model Y or Roadster or whatever isn't exactly apt. But certainly for the Model 3, uh, they're about the I same. I seem to remember when you had your Renault Zoe, you parked your car for a day and because it was cold, the lithium-ion batteries like lost, was it half their charge or something similar to that? Uh, they did. I I put my car on charge, and when I came back, it actually had less energy than it started with because the batteries charged up. Uh, then to prevent overcharging, the charging circuit cut out, and because it was minus eight to minus ten degrees Celsius, the battery then proceeded to discharge further than it was whenever I dropped it off. So yeah, that I'm, was interesting. I'm not on a, saying this is definitely true, but I'm pretty sure Tesla have better insulation on their batteries than the Zoe. I'd, hope I'd imagine so. so. The, the good thing about Tesla is that they sculpt their batteries to fit their car, whereas Renault literally lifted the ride height about three inches and shoved the battery in the crevice underneath. Fantastic. Um, also, to anybody listening, never buy a Renault. They're a terrible company, and I don't recommend their vehicles. Easy as that. So Lewis loved his electric car experiment. Right. Yeah, I loved it so much I got rid of it. Hashtag Brexit. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So... Thank you, Gil, for your follow-up. Um, listeners, if you would like to follow up to anything we've ever said, you know where to find us. We're bringing to the table at mail.com and at B-I-T-T-T podcast on Twitter. Um, but enough of the past. Let's look forward to the shiny, gleaming future. Um, so I'm going to... We need an analogy every week. So I'm going to put on my uh, virtual reality goggles and look at the uh, virtual table in front of us and the virtual conversation. This is really getting weak. The The question I want to bring to the table this week um, is, and it's a bit of a nostalgic one, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were younger and why? What made you want to do that, even if it's multiple things? So what were your childhood dreams? What profession did you want to go into when you were a little kid? When you were little Scott and little Gil, what did you want to do and what made you want to do that? So I think when probably the first thing I wanted to go and become when I was a kid, because I went through multiple uh, different thought processes on here, was a fireman. Because I love Fireman Sam. That was a great television show for kids. Um, or at least I remember it fondly. I don't know if it actually holds up. Um, so that was probably the first thing. And I do remember for... About four years from the age of four to eight, I was convinced I was going to become Batman when I was older. That was my career choice. <laughs> of, uh, yeah, career of choice. Um, but that was really, yeah, I never really kind of thought of a serious, um, yeah, a serious job. Uh, not that fire serving is serious, but Batman was my main thing of my childhood. Um, yeah, I never had a serious one. I suppose fireman something that a lot of kids saw because it was like the cool outfit and like it was a, a admittedly very dangerous, but firefighting is a pretty cool situation whenever you're young and there's a lot of toys and games and things that revolve around firefighters because they try and instill that, that cultural idea that these are very important people, which they are. Um, and they kind of provide idols to kids. Okay. So you wanted to be, 
um, either the the Dark Knight or the the firefighter. Uh, Scott, what about you? So yeah, so first thing that came to mind was like Gil Fireman Sam, uh, and secondly because of that, I also had a distant family member who was a fireman, um, and he would occasionally come into my grands and with uniform and and such like that. Um, so seeing that in real life is is that uh, when you are you know, five or six, and remember when me and Gil and Lewis were all grown up, unfortunately, there was no such thing as YouTube. Um, so it's not like, you know, you went onto YouTube and seen these big crazy explosions and there was fire trucks and firemen. When you seen something like this in real life, it was like insane. It was it was kind of mind blown at the time because the closest thing you came to that was Fireman Sam and it, nothing compares to the real life thing. Um, and I guess... Then at the next stage of my life, my uncle was also a joiner uh, and just being around him a lot, um, he just taught me kind of, not, not really taught me, but I just helped out, you know, screwing in nails, fitting, you know, flooring in the house, just skirting boards, all, all these little things. Um, then I also found it really, really tedious purely because I'm such a perfectionist and unfortunately there's some things within joinery that if you are on a time and a budget constraint, you just cannot perfect. Uh, and I could just never get my head around like, oh, why did we do that? And it was just because, well, we needed a spare part, so we cut this part off this bit of wood and it fitted in there fine and that's it. Uh, and you kind of shut up shop and that's it. You don't ever go back and you don't ever think about the care of it year after year. And and that, that wasn't to say that he was a bad joiner. That's just the way it worked. You know, he worked for a big company at the time. Um, and as I now work, we're all under time and budget resource. Um, and yeah, that just, that just frustrated me. So I had to, it kind of just, even then at a young age, I think I used to do that from when I was like six until 12, 13 with him at least. I still help out now when he's got occasional things to do. Um, I was fitting a kitchen with him just last year as well. So um, yeah, so we still do that. Um, I will say when he does it for, you know, family and friends, because it is, you know, we can do it over a weekend, he takes much more time and gets it, like, really spot on. He's done some really nice, cool stuff. Um, and he does, he's recently, with technology now, he's gotten to also the design aspect of it. So he can now do all the AutoCAD stuff as well. Um, so he designed, like, a custom, like, drawer um, from my mum's kitchen um, with a, a hob on top. And it was really, really cool. Um, it was just one of these things where I was like, now, if I can do that, I would probably like to do that. But unfortunately, the day-to-day joinery stuff, I don't like uh, just purely from a perfectionist point of view that I cannot just sit and take time. And if it doesn't work, well, I can come back tomorrow. There isn't that kind of thing. It has to be done today and that's it. So, uh, so yeah, that'd be my two jobs. What about you, Lewis? Um, so I had I had two as well. Interesting that we've all kind of found two. So when I was, when I was younger, kind of, uh, again, kind of same as Gil, maybe like four to eight, maybe. Um, I wanted to be, which isn't actually a job if you think about it, but I wanted to be an inventor. Um, I think it came from, do you remember Tomorrow's, Ro- Tomorrow's World on the BBC? It was um, it was basically like a, you don't have it anymore because the internet exists, but it was basically like a program that would show you like new things that would change the world. Like um, I remember the Amstrad emailing telephone was on it once. Um, and then they had a very early version of AI. They had a computer-generated presenter present the 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 program once. 
Um, and this is kind of like mid to late 90s. So that was like really exciting stuff to see that. But they would always interview the people who'd invented these items. And I was like, man, how cool would it be to like, and I envisaged it as like sitting at a desk and just like drawing out not even like the schematics for them. My mind wasn't advanced enough to figure that out, but like just drawing what you wanted to exist and then giving it to like a factory and being here, make me this and not understanding that there was like 20 intermediate steps um, in that. So I wanted to be an inventor. I thought that'd be really cool. Um, and then later, a kind of primary school age, um, probably between about nine and 11, I would say, um, whenever we used to play football in the, in the playground, I never liked to actually play the game. Um, I didn't really find football something I was particularly good at. I didn't find it particularly fun. But what I did enjoy was refereeing because I liked watching other people do it. And I also liked making sure it was being done properly. So like as a kid, I wanted to make sure like, oh, I want to make sure they're playing properly and like playing by the rules and stuff. So I got like, a, I think it was from like JJB Sports, which no longer exists, um, a little referee's wallet. So I had a red card, a yellow card, and then this little slip of paper that would fit in it. And I used to referee our... Uh, primary school football games so i decided that i really liked that and what i wanted to be was a football referee um and not just that i wanted to be a referee in the premier league in the uk and if you look at my p6 work i'm pretty sure there is still somewhere in my mom's loft uh, a little essay that says my name's lewis and i'm 10 years old when i grow up i want to be a fifa premier league referee um which is an odd thing for me to have wanted to have been given that i'm pretty much uh, the magnetic antithesis to sport these days um, but yeah so that was what I wanted to be um, I guess a quick follow up question when did it kind of set in and why did it set in that you couldn't or didn't want to be these things so like Gil what what made little Gil realise actually I can't or don't want to be a fireman I know for Scott what made you realise I mean I guess the perfectionism thing but like why don't you want to be a fireman or a joiner things like that I think kind of for me the thing that with farming was I just kind of grew away from it. Um, I don't know, maybe the TV network stopped showing um, Farm and Sam and something, and maybe they started <laughs> showing Batman, and that's kind of where that transition happened for me. Um, it was a very sad day when I found out I wasn't going to be Batman, that, you know, I either had to become amazingly Aww. rich or, you know, my parents would have to die, which and leave me a lot of money they didn't have. So there was really no way to do that realistically. Um, so I think there was a sad day when that realization came to pass. I guess the whole fireman thing just kind of, you know, like Gil says, you just kind of grow out of it or something. You know, there's again, you, you kind of go through a stage, I think, when you're younger, where you go through the dream jobs you want to be a football player or a movie star or an astronaut or all these kind of things. Um, so yeah, I guess I just kind of, kind of grown out of it. It's uh, it's just been one of those, one of those things. But um, I, yeah, I, I'm still curious though about it. If I would go back and do it today, it's uh, I know there is a calling for it in Scotland for that type of role, um, but that is some tough training you got to go through though. Uh, now that I've seen YouTube videos of what it's actually like, now that uh, we're in the future, it's uh, yeah, that's uh, not fun carrying all that weight on your back uh, in blistering heat as well. Yikes. Yeah, one of my best friends actually is a fireman and uh, it, it was something he wanted from being a child and something I always respect about him is that he, you know, followed through his childhood dream and became a fireman, so. Yeah, there's something for sticking for your dream, but whenever your dream's being Batman, I guess uh, some dreams just aren't going to come true. 
Um, so I'm going to take off my question asking goggles or whatever it was that I said before. Um, and Scott, I believe you have a, a stamped addressed envelope inside which is a question from our missing cohort. Am I correct? You are correct. So the lovely Michael Thompson could not be with us tonight, but uh, just like Blue Peter, uh, here's one that he made earlier. Uh, <laughs> and he sent me it at 18.26 today. Uh, so I did have to read it because he also sent a follow-up question, but I said that we may not get to that because I think his first question is actually really good, so we may save his follow-up for another show. But okay. uh, anyway, his first question so far is, in a world with next-day delivery and everything on demand, have we become lazy and stopped learning how to fix things? Mm, have we stopped learning how to fix things? That's a, that's a really interesting um uh, perspective on that question because uh, I was expecting it to go have we become lazy and just end there because I've become super lazy with next day delivery and stuff because I can just have something the next day um, I don't know like there's there's so there's a, there's one example I can think of that uh, I think illustrates my answer so my, my short answer is yes I think that like next day delivery and instant access and stuff has made us lazy and unwilling to fix things and a really concrete example is about a month ago. Um, so I have a I have a gaming PC um, that I built. Uh, not particularly well, but it works. And every couple of months, I take it apart um, so that I can clean it out. Because dust builds up and you want to make sure it's all nice and clean and well maintained. Um, so I took the whole thing apart, put it all back together, and it would not turn on. I was like, hmm, okay, this is a bit of a bit of a bugbear, but okay. Um so I kind of left it and thought, I'll come back to it later. Maybe it was just a, an accident. I came back to it later, turned it back on, still wasn't working. So I thought, okay, I am going to try and fix this. So uh, I did a little bit of troubleshooting. I maybe spent, I don't know, an hour and a half on it. And I came to the conclusion that the, the processor, the CPU, was broken. Uh, or the slot for the CPU on the motherboard. And I thought, right, well, this is broken and no longer works. Um, what I then did is in my head I went right what are the two things that I would really like to have right now that my computer does that I can't otherwise do um there were two games I play Civ 6 I play City Skylines and I was like I need to be able to do those things so my response to that was to go on my iPad and buy Civ 6 for iPad instantly and to go on my PlayStation and buy City Skylines for PlayStation instantly and to me, that was problem solved because I thought my problem is not that my computer's broken. My problem is that I cannot access those two things that I would really like. And so rather than fix it, I just went and rebought things on other mediums that I could use. So that was me being lazy. I mean, not wanting to fix it. Um, good news, though. A week later, I came back to it and I realized that the reason it wasn't working is because on the crappy stock Intel fan, one of the little locking pins that holds the fan in place had broken whenever I took it apart. Um, so I got a new fan, clipped it on, that pushed the CPU back into the socket, and now the computer works. So if I'd invested a little more time, I actually would have saved a little bit of money, because now I have two copies of software on two different platforms that I definitely don't need. So to answer Michael's question, yes, I think prime shipping and streaming and stuff, digital downloads, does make us lazy and not fix things as often as maybe we should. Scott, what do you think? Do you have anything, uh, like any examples, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess for me, the, the the way I always look at these things is, is A, will I benefit from, you know, fixing something? So 
nine times out of ten, it's will I learn something. That's really the benefit for me. Um, and also, if I was to cost for my time out for to do that, how much of my time and how much money would that be? Um, and with those two factors, so for example, if a guitar cable breaks on me, that would probably take me three, four hours to fix. But I can also just go down to the shops or go to Amazon and buy one for probably five ninety nine, six ninety nine. They're not that expensive. Um, and what are the chances of me either doing more damage through rewiring wrong and exploding the amp and all that? There's a lot that can go wrong with that. Um, but then on the other hand, when it comes to you know fixing you know like my gardening and stuff yes I could have got a gardener in to do that who's got skills and expertise and a wealth full of knowledge and will have all the right tools and equipment um, whereas I've spent more money building up tools for doing the garden and equipment and grass seed and lawn feed and, and all this kind of stuff um, which you could say I've probably spent more money and time on doing that than what I could have paying a gardener but I feel like I'm learning the life skill that over the long run will benefit me um, from doing that um, so that's kind of the way that I always look at it, but there are certain things that, yes, I will just buy because it is, you know, next day shipping or it is easier, or I will pay. Like one example, I subscribe to um, Harry's, the razor blade company. Um, you may have seen their adverts all over UK TV recently, um, I, purely because they ship it to my door. Like the, the, only, the only time I remember that I need a razor is when I'm about to shave and that I need a razor. Like, I could put it on my shopping list and I will always forget it. It's just one of these things. I don't know if it's just me, I don't know if it's a guy thing or anything, I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, To that... be fair, I do the exact same thing. Um, I normally only realize I need a new razor whenever I look at the, like, lube strip on my one and realize it's the wrong color. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so for me t to just pay a little bit extra money to just always have, the have them delivered. Um, and again, the nice thing is, is that because they deliver multiple, I always just keep one in a wash bag because I travel occasionally for work and it means wherever I go, I've always got a razor and I don't need to think about packing it. So again, the money I spent, yes, maybe is slightly more, but again, I'm not going to sit and sharpen razor blades and cut them up and, you know, that's just, <laughs> we don't do things like that anymore um, because we don't need to. So... I think yes in some ways and no in other ways. I, I think it depends on the person. Um, I know plenty of people who just pay for a gardener to come in and do their grass because it's not what they want to do. By all means, I agree. If that's not what you want to do with your time on this this planet that we have so little left of, then by all means, you'll pay somebody to come and do that. Um, but for me, that's a skill that, yeah, you know, I want to invest in and learn. But on the same, on the same time, something like my guitars, which are also another time investment and money investment for me. If it's a guitar cable, I'm just gonna to go to the shops and buy one. Um, and that's it, over and done with, no questions asked. I think that's a, a fair response. Gil, what about you? Yeah, I, th I think there's no kind of black and white answer to this question. It's kind of, there's a lot of gray area in here because like both of you, there are things that, you know, I will take time to to fix, there are things that I will just be like, you know what, it's you know, Scott's example, 599 cable, you know um, one thing I do remember is the charge cable for my phone uh, developed a rip in it one time and I got a um, 
I can't, I can't think of the name exactly what it's called right now, but it's basically a piece of plastic um, heat shrink. Oh, Sigri. Yeah. Oh, no. not Sigri. Heat shrink. So basically, you, it's a little roll of plastic. You put it over the cable. You get a lighter or a match. You run it over it, and it shrinks to match to form the cable. So that'll rip or tear, and the cable is repaired. And I did this, and I looked at it, and I had a white cable, and this is a, I could only find a piece of black uh, heat shrink. And I was like, this just looks awful. You know, this looks terrible. Uh, so I went and bought a new cable. So, again, in that situation, the aesthetics weren't there. So buying the new cable was the better thing to do. But then, you know, uh, <laughs> the coffee table in our living room uh Somehow, I don't know how exactly it happened, one of the legs developed this really deep crack in it. Um, so I basically got a piece of the same wood, cut out part of the leg, replaced it, you know, matched it up. It was square. It wasn't a very difficult job. But then I was like, you know what, I'm proud to do that because some people might have just went and bought a new table. But in that situation... I, uh, you know, mended that table. So, yeah, it's a grey area. Oh, that noise can only mean one thing. Scott, do you have a football update for us? I do, I do. There has been a goal in Croatia versus England. Uh, Croatia have scored in the 68th minute to draw one all. They're currently in the 71st minute now. Uh, That is all I have for you. I forgot the name of the goal scorer but if i remember <laughs> i will come back to you on that one so uh, is it coming home the answer we don't know yet to be continued i hate that catchphrase a guy i work with's been using it to troll some of his uh his customers and it's just like i just hear he's like oh so you think football's coming home is it what you think and they're like oh shut up shut up and it's just the the abuse he's getting is well-founded, but hilarious at the same time. Uh, I like how that song has the lyric in it, 30 years of, or 30 years of heart. And the song was written for the 1986 World Cup, so that's actually statistically inaccurate. It's now 52 years of heart, which doesn't quite fit the melody, but is uh, more heartbreaking, because that's half a century plus. Um, okay, so I think we pretty comprehensively covered Michael's question. I'm sure he'll have a follow-up for us next week. Um, Gil? Seems you answered last. How would you like to to turn the tables on us? How would you like to bring your question home and ask us something? Oh, I'm me. not even That's, saying sorry for that. Yeah, you you should be. You will be. Um, so I will take the <laughs> virtual reality goggles you have uh, so carelessly tossed oh, yeah, away, and he wasn't there to catch them. And um, <laughs> my question is also about nostalgia, actually. Um, and this time, you know, our group chat uh, lately has been a lot of gaming conversation in there. You know, you, Michael, and Scott have taken a lot of time to play Fortnite. Um, it's not a game I play, but that's okay. And um, I just got thinking to when I got my PlayStation, which was personally the first games console that I owned... And how I had a game for it called uh, Medieval, which was a fantastic game. Oh. And yes, it was just a wonderfully weird and creepy storyline, but just a great game overall. 
And I was going to ask you guys, what is the first video game you remember loving? That you remember playing over and over again that really took you, um, you know, said, I want to do this. I want to stop playing football. I want to stop building Lego. I wanted to sit in front of the TV and play this game. Yeah, so my, like you, my first games console was a, a PlayStation 1. Um, and whenever I first got it, uh, I just had the demo disc for it. Um, so I got it to kind of try a load of games. Um, I enjoyed Tony Hawk. I really liked that. I liked the two-minute aspect of it. Uh, I really enjoyed Spyro. Um, I enjoyed, now there's, uh, I can't remember the name of it. I'll try and find it. It might have been, no, it wasn't Wipeout. It was called something or other, but it was like a puzzle game that was pretty neat. Um but anyway, that's that's a different matter. But the first game that I really loved and kind of not got addicted to, but made a lot of time for was the Crash Bandicoot series. Um, in particular, Crash Bandicoot 3. Um, so I'd played the first two. I'd played Crash Bandicoot. I played Crash Bandicoot 2. Um, I really enjoyed 2 because the problem with the first game is that it was exceptionally linear in that you could only do one level at a time. So if you got stuck, it was incredibly frustrating. Um, but Naughty Dog fixed that with the inventive um, warp room system where you had five levels at a time to pick from. And once you beat those five, you got another five. But Crash Bandicoot 3 for me was when it really got good because that introduced the concept of like power up. So you got a bazooka, you got a double jump, you got like this ground pound maneuver. And it was just those interesting new mechanics that kept the game being permanently fresh because it wasn't the same moveset over and over. Um so yeah i still love those games i pre-ordered the um insanity collection whenever it came out for ps4 i was playing it just the other day um i just think they're they're a masterpiece in uh platforming game design uh so yeah crash bandicoot 3 uh warped i think is the subtitle of that one um would be for me my first like real get into it game scott what about you yeah, so my first games console was a Game Boy, an original one, non-color screen, very, very chunky, big batteries, uh, and I had Super Mario for that. Uh, now, that wasn't my favourite game, purely because that had been out for so many years, and literally every other game had tried to copy that kind of platform style, you know, you move along this side, you can go back so far, but, you know, basically you've got to get to the end of this platform. Uh, but the first game that I really remember falling in love with and just, yeah, you know, wanting to play every single day was uh, Banjo-Kazooie on the N64. <laughs> that was just, like, yeah, it had these bizarre levels, these great characters, and it was just, it was just a, a great game. It just had all the right things. It had, you know... Probably at the time it had a good storyline. Now, what we compare to storylines today in computer games is completely different. But this had a really good storyline. It was, you know, it was a game. It's it's almost like a Pixar film. You know, the whole family could play it and enjoy it. And I think that's what was so key was that it was, you know, something I could pick up. But then it was something my sister could pick up, something my mum could pick up. Um, and it was just, it had so many different levels. Like, I remember one of my favourite ones was this big mechanical fish. I'm sure it was a big mechanical fish. Um, and you were able to like swim into the gills of it to get into, and it was just yeah, it was just one of these games that had at the time I thought really good graphics because again it was that almost Pixar style. It was cartoon slash computer. It wasn't like you know pixelated as much, um, and yeah, you just went around being Banjo Kazooie, just you know 
him and his friend in his backpack and just, yeah, fighting crime. Or crime, as they would call it, in that sense of the computer game. <laughs> but yeah, that was a, a really, really good game. And that just made me love the N64. And I've contemplated many times buying an N64 just to play that game again. Uh, it is that good. And I'd love to, to go back and actually try and complete it this time because I don't think I ever completed it. Uh, because if I remember correctly, uh, now I'm going back, like it must be at least 20 years now, which is scary. You had to collect these jigsaw pieces to yep. fix uh, a puzzle. Um, and yeah, it was just great. It was, it was brilliant. I love that game. I have so, oh, so many good memories playing that game. Scott, what if I told you that in my attic, I have an orange translucent Nintendo 64 that you are more than welcome to take away and use to play Banzai Kazooie? And this, Lewis, is why we are good, good friends. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. Gil, what about you? Answering your own question. So I'm going to actually answer it for my fiance first because she would Ooh. pick the exact same answer as Scott, uh, Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, and I nice. know this because hooked up to our 60-inch television downstairs is her N64 from my childhood. <laughs> with uh, two games, uh, Super Mario... No, what's the Mario? Mario Mario sixty four. Mario sixty four. Yeah. How did I forget that? The names in the title of the games console, and I'm Banjo Very Kazoo. creative. <laughs> so yeah, that is uh, you know, Scott. Next time you're in Ireland, you're welcome to come play. But Lewis kind of pit me by saying you just go to his house and get his console. So I guess it's not really a reason to come visit me anyway. But uh, my answer. Oh, we'll visit you. <laughs> isn't actually. PlayStation game, it was one of, my best, one of my friends had an original Nintendo Ooh. and Super Mario Brothers. We spent like a couple of hours a day, every day for a summer at least I think, playing that game. And he was really good. He wouldn't play ahead if I wasn't there. So even though it was in his house, it was his uh, it was his older brothers I think, uh console we would uh you know he'd wait for me and we 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 smashed that game like we played that game and became really good at it um and yeah that was kind of the first time i was like literally got up you know i don't know nine o'clock in the morning rushed through breakfast rushed it rushed at the door bye mom see you later and like went over to his house knocked on the door and was there for hours playing video games to like his mum kicked us out, like, go get some sunshine, go ahead, go get some sunshine. <laughs> you know, it was just, that was kind of the first video game that really kind of took me by uh, and gave me a love for video games. Did you, um, did you and your friend you see the warp rooms or did you legitimately go from 1 1 to 7 4 or 8 4, sorry, the whole way? Uh, first time legitimately because we didn't know about the warp rooms, there was no online uh, forums <laughs> to tell us about them. Yeah. But then, you know, as usually was the way a friend of a friend had a cousin who knew this secret and it got passed down in the schoolyard and it's like, oh, we've got to go back and do it again and try all these warp rooms. I remember the worst thing about hearing those was that there was no way to tell if they were true or not until you'd done it. So you would have this one vindictive friend who would say, yeah, if you go play Pokemon and level all your Pokemon to level 100 and then release them all on an island, you'll get a Mew. And then all you did was train up a bunch of level 100 Pokemon and lose them because that's what your friend told you to do. But uh, yeah, oh, the, the glory days of the, the NES. I actually 
uh, against the the judgment of uh, you gentlemen. Uh, I did buy a NES Classic, and it's wonderful. I sat and played uh, Pac-Man the way it's meant to be played, which is in a squashed one-one aspect ratio on a 4K 16 by 9 television. I just want to point out I never oh. was against that idea. I don't know why you thought I was the N64 Classic. I say. Nintendo Classic. Oh, that's true, actually. It was Scott and Tall. Was Scott and Michael were trying to tell me not to buy it. Just uh, just curious, did anyone ever uh, have a chance to play with the Power Glove that was for the NES system? No. No. I tried no. to buy one at one point because uh, I might still have my NES. I might have sold it. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I could never get one for a reasonable price, but it looked the dorkiest, <laughs> most fun thing. Everybody's seen that picture of the the heavier set gentleman who's wearing like a wizard's outfit and part of his wizard's outfit is an NES power glove. Yeah, it's just something I've always just, I could imagine if I had that when I was in my youth, it, it probably would have changed my whole life. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like one of those gadgets. It's just like so cool. And I've just like you, Lewis, I've never had the chance to play with one, but it's always just been, you know, I've always wanted to try it. It just seems so cool. One day it'll happen for us, Scott. One day. When you one talk day, about yeah, N64 uh, peripherals, Duck Hunt and that bright orange controller slash gun. Yep. Light the light gun. gun. That's amazing. Yeah. Which I'm had sure... to be made bright orange in Europe to make it look less like a weapon. Everywhere else it was ah, grey. Did not know that. <laughs> didn't they? Um, didn't they have also have those in uh, in arcades? And for those of you who are not young enough, arcades used to be where we'd have to go and play games with friends because we couldn't uh, we didn't have online systems, uh, and you'd have yep. to put money in every time you want to play the game, and yep. it cost me a fortune. Just and the only way to play a three D game was to go to an arcade because your home console didn't have enough power. Yeah, or if you wanted to actually do a racing game with an actual steering wheel, uh, yeah. yeah, you had to go to an arcade. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I'm sure Duck Hunt used to be in arcades. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a different There was game. Time Crisis and it was Point Blank. I, I think, spent a good 50 quid on Point Blank over the course of my childhood. That was one of my favourite arcade games. Yeah. Nothing Namco. beats the smell of an arcade, eh? That's, uh... mm, it's like sweat and pool blaze mixed <laughs> together. Yeah. That's uh, good times, good times. You, the youth don't know what they're missing out on. Exactly. Get out of your Facebooks and into your local arcade, which has probably been turned into a Starbucks at this point, but eh, go there anyway. <laughs> well, Scott, you're the last one. The question is coming home to you. Oh, wow. Okay. When it's coming home, do I need to be wearing the, the goggles or is that... So there's goggles, uh, it's coming home, and if you can work football into it again like a bonus point for you i guess oh okay i thought it was like some sort of like cia torture where i've got to just wear the goggles it's just flashing it's coming home <laughs> rapidly until i give up my secrets that's uh we don't torture people here nor do we condone torturing well i, I guess it depends who's listening that's uh well give me a class that's that an email <laughs> yeah uh anyway um my question this week is how do you apply a new skill or methodology that you have learned uh, as I've been off this week, I've been learning a few new things, uh, and I try to learn lots of new things, but um, I'm just wondering if there's a a certain way, you know, uh, I know some people are kind of, you know, learn by doing people, uh, other are note takers and then practice and write up, you know, scripts on how to do things. I was just extremely curious as to how you guys learn new skills and, and, and methodologies and approach that Um um, I'm definitely one of these learned by doers. I believe the phrase, which is now going out of fashion, um, is a kinesthetic learner. I think the whole notion of different learner types is slowly being eroded um, in psychology at the moment. But uh, 
I would regard myself as a kinesthetic learner, um, which means I learn by repeating the thing that I'm trying to learn. Um, so whenever I was at school, I never got much benefit out of writing notes to the point where I pretty much didn't. I would write small little footnotes that would correlate with the textbook, but that was about it. Um, for me, the way that I learned being in the class and participating actively in the class was how I learned. If I was ever going to learn it, that was the moment. Um, and that's kind of stuck with me. Um, there's been a couple of skills I've tried to learn um, over the past couple of years, whether it be new languages, whether it be learning to code, whether it be learning to uh, play hockey again. Um, and you can write down and you can listen to and you can look at as much as you want. But unless you're physically doing the thing, um, it's just not going to stick for me, um, which can be challenging in some situations because there's some skills that you can't practice physically until the time comes to do them. So, for example, um, I uh, I recently get involved in a bit of project work um, that requires me to be a bit more assertive, I guess, in my knowledge to act above my grade. Um, and so that's more of a soft skill. That's more of a positioning, more of a personality skill, assertiveness, things like that, um, language use. But unless you kind of stand in front of a mirror and talk to yourself, which doesn't actually help in those situations, I think, because you're just hearing what you think is best anyway. You don't know how other people are going to react to the way you present yourself and the way you speak until you're actually doing it. So there are certain skills I think are very difficult. Um, and I know that there are people who can read, like... Uh, self-help book isn't the word I'm looking for. Uh, that I think that's quite a patronizing phrase, but like books meant to improve your 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 mental outlook, I guess. That are meant to give you skills. Um, and yeah, to I think some people read... class them as leadership books, almost. Leadership books, exactly. That's brilliant. Um, so leadership books. So some people will read a leadership book and instantly be able to apply that. I'm not one of those people. I could read the book and I can understand everything it's telling me. I'm gonna need a couple of months to apply that and figure out what works for me. Um, to kind of squeeze that template a little bit and see where the boundaries are. Um, so yeah, I would definitely regard myself as kinesthetic. Um, the way I apply that, repetition. Just doing things not not um, in a kind of roped way, not kind of sitting and going, I must do this a hundred times and then I can do it. Just applying it in real world situations. I'm not a big practicer. I tend to just go and do things. I see how they turn out. I see what feedback I get in terms of active feedback and passive feedback. Sometimes you can just read the room or see the results or sometimes people will tell you. And then I apply that next time. Um, so yeah, for me, definitely learn by doing. It can be challenging sometimes. It can backfire sometimes, but that's just what works for me. Gil, what about you? I'm actually going to throw back something real quickly to you before I answer. You talked about there uh, mm -hmm. how you uh, look for feedback, you know, to see how you've done. Do you ever kind of sit back and kind of self kind of critique with those things? I do. Um, I do do that. Um, I am of a, a mental persuasion where I tend to be very, very harsh on myself. Um, so I don't generally ever give myself very positive feedback. Um, I will generally find criticisms. Um, sometimes I give weight to those criticisms where it's not particularly necessary. Um, so I'll take a, a, a mountain out of a molehill, I believe is the, the phrasing. Um, so yeah, I, I do try to set a high bar for myself and kind of self, um, do some self analysis and self feedback. Um, but I generally find if you were to balance it in terms of scores, I generally get more applicable real world feedback from others. Whereas the feedback I have for myself is generally um, unwarrantedly negative, but you can still learn from that. 
it's just that it's just the way I skew things internally. Yeah, because I'm going to be similar um, in how I would, you know, be very hard on myself. But I've found as kind of I've grown, you know, kind of gone along my journey is that I'm getting more valuable feedback out of my own criticism. You know, it's like when I do something with my hands, I look at it and go, right, what could I have done better? And that gives me kind of a, a place to kind of look for next time. Um, but that's kind of putting the, you know, cart before the horse, as it were. Um, when I learn a new skill or try to, you know, learn anything, I also, like you, Lewis, learn by doing. And I suspect, Scott, you might be similar just from knowing you. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Um, but yeah, learn by doing is a big thing. But I need to know the theory behind it. Like, when I first started to drive, I, I just couldn't, in my head, get around changing uh, gears with the clutch and taking off with the clutch. It was just something I was really bad. I was, like, 17, 18, I can't remember what age, but I was, like, really, like, I was, like, oh, I can't get this. And then I, I gave up on it for a couple of years. And when I went back to it, I actually had learned to go back and look at the theory. Why? You know, what are you doing when you're changing gear? What is you're trying to achieve when you, you know, push the clutch to release the gearbox? And again, all these different things, once you understand what that does, then you kind of know what you're doing. And then when putting that into practice, it works quite well. Um, when I go to learn a new skill, I go, you know, if I want to learn something new, the first place I go is Wikipedia. And that sounds like an awful idea. And I know my, you know, uh, university professors are probably like going, oh my God, if they're listening, that is, you know. I don't think there's anything wrong with Wikipedia yeah. these days. Wikipedia used to be a bit of a wild west, but now it's actually exceptionally yeah. reliable, if I'm being honest. No, I agree with you. Yeah. I think it's great. I, that's like my first place to go to is that and just kind of figure out, kind of like, right, give me a broad overview. Then there's links at the bottom with citations as a like, great cool let's go dig in a little deeper then there's youtube and then there's trying it and that that's the bit i love the best is trying it out like i have been watching um a youtube uh channel about blacksmithing for probably a little over a year now and i am you know at the point where I want to go to a breaker's yard and find the cheap anvil and get some, you know, tools and just give it a try because it looks really cool, looks really fun. And I think I've picked up enough from watching that YouTube channel and reading different things to, um, to start applying that. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much kind of my process on that. Oh, there it is. Scott, one of your new skills is delivering sports news to us. I believe you have a football update. What's happening? Over to Scott in, uh, I don't know, like JJB Arena in London or whatever. Uh, yeah, thanks, Lewis. Uh, currently reporting from JJB Arena. Uh, the match <laughs> has just hit full time. It is Croatia 1, England 1, which Ooh. means for anyone that doesn't follow football, because this is a semi-final, it needs to go to extra time where they play two halves of 15 minutes. All right, and is that a golden goal where they stop play after a goal or silver goal where they will play the remainder of extra time and see what the score is? It is the latter. They will play the remainder of the time. 
And if that remains a tie, it goes to a penalty shootout, I believe. You are correct. Who says you don't learn anything on this show? There you go, ladies and gentlemen. There's another 30 minutes of exciting tikataka action coming your way. Unless you're listening to this ever, in which case it's already happened, and you probably know the score, and this is actually really tedious to listen to. But isn't history fun? There's something about the headphones you wear, Scott, that reminds me of Chris Kamara on uh, Gillette Soccer Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable, Jeff. Yeah, that's, I just need to grow one of those moustaches. I don't know if I can do that, though. That's, uh... I'm being a Ladbrokes advert. <laughs> yeah, that's the one, yeah. Okay, Scott, uh, you're not escaping your own wrath. How do you learn? What's what's your? How do you put skills into action? Yeah, no, I, as we've already said, and I, I'm going to speak on Michael's behalf here, but I'm sure you will all start nodding your head that us as a group, we are probably learn by doing people. Um, oh, I just... don't learn by doing people. <sighs> I got one in there. I got one. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So yes. So we are all, I would say, creative people, um, and we just, yeah, that that's how we learn. Um, I guess more specifically though, when I when I break it down, I almost, I kind of, always resolve back to music. Where with music, a lot of people who have never learned an instrument before, will go straight in and go, I'm going to learn this whole piece of music by the end of today. Uh, And anyone who has ever, you know played an instrument for I'd say at least a year to two years ago if I learned the first eight bars today I'm doing bloody marvellous uh, and that's kind of how I, I've started approaching other things in life now is going well if I get this small section right and I can practice it until you know I can do it without looking or anything like that you know just do it without thinking almost so it's it's almost a routine uh, then then that's great um, but also as well now like Gil says as I've also gotten older there are also certain things where I do need to go and do a little bit more research before I do things, um, or I may want a bit of background knowledge. Um, and that's something that I guess I'm not really used to. While I did it at university, it was more because there was a a goal and an objective towards that. Whereas now for things that I'm just maybe doing around the house, like DIY and in the garden specifically and cars, you know, there there is certain things that you don't want to break or that you can't just jump into and just start, you know, digging up roads and stuff and go, yeah, this will work, it'll be fine. Because um, yeah, if 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 you screw that up, uh, sometimes it, there there's no going back, um, which is good and bad. Um, I guess that that you do take the more cautious approach and go, well, I need to have four or five different solutions, um, and that's where that research phase comes in. I agree with Gil. I think Wikipedia is fine. Um, I didn't grow up in the forties. I'm not scared of internet, um, and I've had the unbiased news most of my life, so I know how to sort good from bad. Um, so yeah, so that that's fine. Um, but yeah, um, no, yeah, I was just curious, obviously being off this week, trying to get a lot done around the house. Um, and I've just been watching and reading a lot of kind of these DIY blogs, um, which is sad, but this is the unfortunate life of being a grown up. Um, and again, going back further to probably Michael's question, um, I feel like now is the chance for me to learn this stuff. Um, and while I could pay somebody to come in and do it, um, why not give it a go? Because at the end of the day, if I do screw up, I'm still going to have to pay that person to come in and fix it anyway. So at least I've tried it first. Um, and it, as, as Lewis has correctly said, you know, that kinesthetic learning. Um, I would much rather to say I've gave it a shot and, and, you know, tried to do it than just to sit and go, well, on paper, I know how to do it. But actually, if you asked me to do it, that's a different story. Brilliant. 
a lot of uh, very similar responses, but I think that can sometimes be expected from a, a group of similar-minded individuals. Um, on that note, I'd say it's time to say good night if you're listening to this at night, or goodbye if you're listening to it any other time. Um, I'm probably not going to edit this uh, at the end, so I will just say well done to England for winning the football match today, unless you didn't, in which case, well done, Croatia. Um, as always, please feel free and even encouraged to get in contact with us. We are bringittotheetable at mail.com if you want to send us an email. Or if you prefer the shorter tweet medium, we are at B-I-T-T-T podcast. I'd like to thank you for your time this evening. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to Gil. And also thank you to Absent Michael. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Hey, an actual ending. How good was that? <laughs>